We are bringing Ecclesiastes to a close. And we're going to start in chapter 12 this week. And we're going to finish chapter 12 next week. So we're going to split this last chapter into two uh, weeks. Chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes was the, the text that said, hey, there's a time for everything. That's a very familiar passage. If there was a second most familiar passage in Ecclesiastes, it'd be the beginning of chapter 12. So turn there. And while you're turning there, let me just back up just a hair to what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about hope-filled planning. Planning with the expectation that something is coming, a reward is coming later. Uh, Also, we talked about how God's judgment is real. It's real and it's coming. And so because of that, specifically Christians, we are called to live differently. So in light of God's coming judgment, we live differently. That's not a stretch to understand that. But we also talked about how Solomon pushes us. I think he's doing this all along. He's pushing us to consider eternity. Consider what is beyond just the here and the now. Think about what comes after death because this life is not all there is. Praise God for that. Here's a question before we get into our text together. How many of you guys like shooting off fireworks around the 4th of July? I found something out about a beloved sister that she is a pyromaniac here. Lori Dorsey, do you like shooting off fireworks? I like watching them. I don't do that because I have to run and I can't Okay, I see. She said, for those of you over there, she said she doesn't like shooting them off because then she'd have to run and she doesn't want to do that. I'm with you on that. Have you guys seen those montages on America's Funniest Home Videos of people doing really dumb stuff? I mean, that's pretty much what the show show is based off of. Um, But I love those montages specifically of the ones of like fireworks going awry. And the guys out there, you know what a Roman candle is, right? And it's about that long and you're not supposed to hold them in your hand when you shoot them, but everybody does, right? And, but... It's videos of these guys who are, who are getting ready and they're shooting these things and they've got them pointed the wrong way. You ever seen that? You ever seen that happen? Yeah, it happens. So that's why you put them in the ground and you're not supposed to hold them. Um, but think about that Roman candle for a moment and the trajectory that it's on. Okay, of course, if you've got it backwards, you're in trouble from the start. But if you shoot a Roman candle or a bottle rocket or any firework for that matter, your trajectory is really important, isn't it? And even if you're just a little bit off at the beginning, you've got it angled just slightly wrong, it can make a big difference in the end. It is, your trajectory of those things is a vital part to experiencing fireworks without danger, without a traumatic incident. And I think this concept leads us into chapter 12 here. And it hits on this foundational truth. Remember God and remember who He is so that the trajectory of your life is set properly. Right off the bat, He says, remember also your Creator. We have to remember God for the trajectory of our life to be set right. Because if it's not there can be disaster waiting. If we've seen anything from Ecclesiastes so far, it's that 
as we've already talked about this morning, this world is a messy place. This world is a messed up place and it's full of messed up people. I hope you don't take offense at that because I'm right there with you in it. Look back, just glance to chapter 7, verse 13. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? It's like this. We've talked about this a little bit back in chapter 7, so I'm not going to go too far, but I was thinking about it this week, thinking about the idea that we could somehow find something to fix what's wrong with us without God. And how ridiculous of a notion that is. It's like this. It's like sticking... 30 toddlers in a room by themselves and then coming back after five, six hours and expecting everything to be okay. Now, I'm not calling you all toddlers here, but think about that situation if you did that. Well, what do you mean you all have dirty diapers? No one changed a diaper in here? What do you mean all you had was fruit snacks and goldfish? To eat. What do you mean you hit each other and you fought over toys? How could that ever happen? It's, it's ludicrous to expect that kind of a situation to go well, but I think it's equally ridiculous to think that any one of us can fix what's broken in the world today. So throwing all of our effort into some social justice movement will not do it. That's not going to fix what's broken. Selling out to a political party with blinders on is not going to fix anything. Tearing down monuments and statues doesn't change the heart. None of those things are designed for lasting change. Now, don't hear me wrong. We have to interact with culture. We have to engage with it. I think for the sake of people's souls and just for the sake of obedience to Jesus Christ, because he said to But we shouldn't expect all those other kinds of pursuits to suddenly just make everything okay. They're not going to fix what's really broken. We've heard from chapter 11, verse 8 in Ecclesiastes, Solomon has already said, look, the days of darkness will be many. That's the reality of life under the sun. But it doesn't mean that we have to live empty lives. It doesn't mean that our lives are meaningless Solomon is pushing us not only to consider eternity, but to also consider right living, which lived for Christ, that brings meaning, that brings purpose, and our lives can be just chock full of joy in that. But it's only going to happen when things are put in the right perspective and when we aim, when our trajectory is pointed at the right things. How we end things, specifically how we end our lives, is important, to be sure. But how we start sets us on a path that can often be difficult to deviate from. Now, if you start by aiming at the right things, praise God, that is a good thing. But if you found yourself aiming at the wrong things, if your trajectory is slanted where it shouldn't be, it's a challenge to get back And it can be a source of heartache and difficulty. But the hope is God gave us his spirit and God gave us his word to set those things right. To set those things back the way that they should be. So there's still hope for us. So let's read our text this morning. Chapter 12. Let's read this. 
Let's listen to the word of the Lord today and let's remember the way that things should be. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, one, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Let's pray. Lord, there's probably a time, even just this past week, when maybe not word for word, but we've had that, that feeling, that thought. God, what's the point? This is all just vanity. And some of that was just out of desperation and despair, maybe. But some of that maybe have been out of frustration for how we see things going. Maybe frustration about how our own heart is. Lord, and so use, use your word here to, to change us. Mold us with this, Lord. Cut to the parts that need to be cut. Mend what needs to be mended. God, show us Christ in all of this. In his name we pray, amen. So this first verse is probably a familiar one to you. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. So on top of everything that Solomon has already been teaching in chapters 1 through 12, he says, look, remember also your creator. Remember whose you are. Notice in probably your English translation, creator has a capital C. It's denoting that that is God Almighty. Creator God. Remember Him when you are young before the trajectory of your life is set. Specifically set on the wrong things. Do you know what, at its core, I think what this passage is all about though? Time. I think it's about time. He says, Today, this is a, a current, present tense kind of a, a feeling here. Today, remember your Creator in the time of your youth before the days turn evil. So these, these things are, are oriented with time. And I think verses 1 through 7 here, the main part of our text, they describe the reasons why we should take the time now to think about God, to remember our Creator Guess, this is, this is not a trick question. Guess who created time? God did, right? He is creator of it, and so he is outside of it. He exists beyond the restraints of time. He's not bound by it in any way. Psalm chapter 90 speaks of time. And so you can turn there if you want, but I'm just going to hit three verses. Verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, 
or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Then verse 4 says, a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past. And then verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a, that we may get a heart of wisdom. So Psalm chapter 90 talks a lot about time. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That is a concept that we struggle and usually fail to fully grasp. We, we, we cannot get that. How could anyone exist beyond time? Our schedules are dominated by time. Think about this morning for just a moment. How many times did you look at the clock? Come on, guys. We've only got this much time or we're going to be late. We've got to eat our breakfast. We've got to get changed. We've got to shower. We've got to brush our teeth. All of those things. We've thought about time so much already today because we're just engulfed by it. And yet God is free from that. He's beyond and above all of those things. And so he's not restricted in any way. Time is a funny thing. Think about this. We're not going to get too deep into math here because you know I'm not good at it. But think about someone who's celebrating their fifth birthday. Think about you when you were around that age. You might not know exactly, but you remember when you were young, birthdays seemed to take forever to get around. Right? I think there's a mathematics like, reason for that. When you're five years old, it took 20% of your life to get back to your birthday. But when you're 50, it takes 2% of your life to get back to your birthday. So time seems to be moving faster. Time is a funny thing. There's a part of us, I think, that recognizes this, that acknowledges this, but none of us can fully explain it. None of us can really describe the workings of time. So when it comes to important things, Scripture hardly ever talks about the future action. It does at times, but specifically, it almost always speaks in the present tense of things. Let me give you a couple examples. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus was calling people to make decisions in that moment. When he was approached by the, the young ruler who was rich, he told him, go today, now, and sell everything you have. Present tense. Today is the time. Today is the day, brothers and sisters, to think about your Creator. Remember your Creator. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, man, Rod, I can't be in any way described as a youth anymore. Because it says, remember the Creator in the days of your youth. So what if you're beyond youth age? Well, I think, I think we can kind of be a little flexible with this, not with God's Word, but with understanding what youth is. This was a constant joke with our brother Paul Aiken before he passed. For, for Paul Aiken, 99 and a half years old, a 70-year-old man was a young man. And to a 70-year-old, a 40-year-old is young. And to a 40-year-old, 20 is young. And to a 15-year-old, all the rest of us should be in nursing homes. Right? Time is relative in that way. Something I learned this week, or was reminded of this week, is when Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, hey, don't let anybody despise you because of your youth. Guess how old Timothy probably was at that time? We in our, in our heads imagine him as this, like this 12, 13-year-old young man. He was probably in his 30s, maybe even his 40s at that moment in his life. 
Very few people in their 40s would describe themselves as a youth. I think a good way for us to paraphrase this then would be to say, remember your creator while you've got the chance. Remember your creator while you have the opportunity. And particularly for for youth-aged people, for young people, don't be foolish. Don't be silly. Don't be flippant or flighty thinking that you have your whole life ahead of you because none of us know. None of us are guaranteed. So if you think, I'll deal with that God stuff when I'm older, guess what? You really never get older. Because I can tell you the the 60-year-olds in the room don't feel 60 a lot of times. Sometimes after you've worked all day or whatever the case might be, things are cracking that didn't crack before. But you don't think of yourself as, as old as you really are. So when you say, I'll just put that off for when I'm old, you never get there. You don't get there. Tomorrow isn't guaranteed. So address the things that you need to address in your life today. I heard this said, don't let the best years of your life pass while you're waiting for them to begin. Kids, young people, don't let the best years of your life pass while you're waiting for them to begin. Let me ask you this. What would you do if there was a bank that we all had accounts at and it deposited $80,000 in your account every morning. But the trick of it is, you can't save it, you can't, none of it carries over to the next day. You use it or you lose it. What would you do? I can guess what you would do. You'd, that'd be your first stop every morning, right? You'd go to the bank, you'd withdraw $80,000, and you'd try your hardest to spend it every day. Because that's what would make sense. There really is a bank that deposits into your account every morning. Time. It's the bank of time. But instead of $80,000, you get 86,400 minutes every day. None of it carries over. You can't hold some time and carry it over to the next day. Whatever you've wasted... Whatever you've not spent well gets deleted by the end of the day. Now, to be clear, the things we do for Christ, they last for eternity. Don't hear me wrong in that. But this is, I think, what Solomon is getting at with our text today. You have this moment to work out and think through what it means that God is your creator. Don't presume you know how much time you've got in your future. And don't get all tangled up in what's happened in the past. Remember your creator while you have the opportunity because you're going to encounter life's frailty and death's certainty. Remember that word that Solomon uses here. This isn't just a way to call our mind back to something that's already happened. Now, Scripture does at times tell people to do that. In fact, we sang the Jude doxology, and in the book of Jude, it says to remember these things. We're called to do that. Here, it's a little bit different. Here, the word, Alistair Begg says this, the word remember here is a call to drop every sense of self-sufficiency and to cast ourselves unreservedly on God as our creator and our sustainer. Isn't it gracious of God to exhort us in this way? Think about that. To warn us against 
living futile lives and wasting the time that we're given. It's God's grace that causes us to realign our trajectory, however old you are. Because the time is coming. This is what Solomon gets into in these next seven verses. The time is coming when your mind and your body will not be able to do the things that you can currently do now. No matter how good a shape you stay in, at some point you reach a point when you can't do what you did when you were 20, when you were 30, 40. Regardless of how, you old, how old you are now, with more years comes more changes that you can't undo. Solomon says, hey, that's life. And then he illustrates aging and dying with this really verses 1 through 7 as a poem. If you look, even in our English translation, there's not a period in here. This is a poem. This is a big sentence. And he's illustrating this. Now, if Solomon just came right out and said what he meant about getting older, we would all be mad at him. We would would all be offended because this is not pleasant to think about. So he uses metaphors. He uses familiar things to help us grasp the painful reality of what happens to us here under the sun. So let's talk about them. He says, remember the creator, your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. The fact, the hard fact of life is that if you live long enough, you're going to face sickness. You're going to face physical limitations. You're probably going to face the death of loved ones. You might even say, I have no pleasure in these days anymore. I hope that that day doesn't come. I hope that it is far off if it does. And in that sense, we would say, man, these are not good. These are troubling days. Some of your translations say the days of trouble come. Same thing. Evil days, days of trouble. Certainly these things are troubling. Verse 2 continues. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain... So remember, this is poetic literature, and it's full of metaphors. So the idea of lights going going out is referring to the diminishment of our physical and mental capabilities. What you used to be able to see clearly with the naked eye, now all of a sudden, you need glasses to help you see. What you used to be able to remember without a problem, now you easily forget it we, we we all know have heard stories maybe you've experienced this yourself you can remember in great detail an event that happened 20 years ago in your life but you can't remember what you had for dinner last night right we've we've probably all had the experience of older loved ones um, who have this sort of trouble and they can sing every word to the hymn just as i am but they can't remember your name. This sort of thing happens with age. Now, not everyone ages the same way, but clearly things begin to run down as life goes by. Remember your Creator while you've got the opportunity. Not in this compartmentalized, academic way. Like when I was a kid, I had to to memorize the, the multiplication tables and we had flashcards. Or maybe you're trying to learn a different language and you have cards with the different modes of speech labeled on them. It's, it's not the kind of remembering that he's talking about here. 
That's the kind of stuff where it only applies in one general sense of your life. Here he's talking about everything that you are. Remember your creator in a way that gives up your self-dependence and trust only in God before the days of trouble come because you don't know when they were coming and you don't know how bad they're going to be. Better to remember now than to go into eternity with regret. Verses 3 through 5 are Solomon's poetic way of describing this kind of decaying house or this decaying life. I heard a, a pastor talk about observing the aisles of a drugstore and how you can tell how old someone is by which aisle of the drugstore that they go down. So when you're a kid, you go to the candy aisle, right? And the toy aisle and the comic books and that sort of thing. And, you know, you know that there are a bunch of other aisles in the store, but you don't have any need for them. And then when you get a little older and you're a teenager and you're concerned about skin care, you go down a different aisle. And again, you, you know there are other aisles in the store full of pills and prune juice, but you aren't concerned about those aisles. They mean nothing to us. But then as you get older, you start to head down the vitamin aisle, and eventually you spend a lot of time in the aisle waiting for the pharmacist. You can tell a lot about a person by which aisle of the drugstore they go down. The house analogy here talks about how our lives fall, our bodies in a sense, fall apart. So keep with me here. The keepers of the house tremble. Our arms and our legs begin to shake as we get older. The things that we used to be able to lift, no problem. Now we can't lift so easily anymore. The strong men are bent. Our backs aren't as straight as they used to be. As we get older, things begin to shrivel and hunch and all kinds of things we don't expect. The strong men are bent. The grinders cease because they are few. Can you guess what this is referring to in poetic language? What do you grind your food with? Your teeth. The grind, your teeth are beginning to show their age and they're wearing out and they're falling out and we get dentures and all kinds of things done. Those who look through the windows are dimmed. What do you look through windows with? Your eyes. They begin to not work as well as they used to. Things usually don't get any brighter. The doors are shut, it says. It gets harder and harder to hear like your ears are stopped up. Like someone has shut the door. All of these things illustrate getting older. And they illustrate the limitations that come with age. Look back at verse 4 for a moment. It says, when the sound of the grinding is low. So that's the work that's being done. And one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of the song are brought low. So, when do birds usually sing? When does the rooster usually crow in the morning right that fresh new day the birds are up and at them that's why they say the early bird catches the worm okay because birds are up then so this person that solomon is describing metaphorically poetically this person is up with the birds but what can't they hear all the daughters of song are brought low they can't hear the birds even though they're up at the same time they can't hear them 
Can't hear their song anymore. Verse 5 talks about being afraid of what is high and terrors that are in the way. I have made the mistake of leaving my stepladder set up before in our garage or in our house when I was doing a project or whatever. Inevitably, we've got four kids between 11 and 2, and inevitably you can guess what happens after I've left the room and then when I come back in the room. I've got a two-year-old eight feet up in the air because they, they love to climb. And so you take them down and you tell them not to do that. And then if you were to leave again, probably what would happen? Right back up. They're back up. Heights, for the most part, don't seem to bother them. My kids are constantly, when I go up to put up Christmas lights or take down Christmas lights, they always want to get on the roof with me. And I, I cannot emphasize enough, it's not that fun. It's hot. It's slanted. It's dangerous. It's not really that fun. And as you get older, you begin to see this more and more. Time on a roof or time on a ladder, that is not appealing in the least bit. And when there's a a job that has to happen, what do you do usually? You give that job to the young guy, the one that gets up high, because there's a danger there. And the older you get... Physically, our bodies begin to not be as resilient. Our bones begin to brittle a little bit. And it's danger. It's a kind of a terror, terrorizing thing to think of getting up there and falling. We also don't like to travel as much as we get older just for fear of being away from what we're comfortable and, and what we know. And so there's terror in the way, the way being the road. Look what he says next in verse 5. He says, the almond tree blossoms. Ooh, excuse me. Kids, I have a question for you. Can anyone tell me what color an almond blossom is? You got it. White. Almond blossom is white. Guess what this is referring to? Your hair, right? You're going to live old enough. You may get to color it and you may hide it, but underneath it, it's probably turning white or it's falling out. These things happen. Old age, gray hair. There are days when you feel like the grasshopper in this story too, don't you? What does it say? It says that he drags its, it drags itself along. Oh my goodness. Anybody felt like that recently? You just, you just get up and you're already tired and you think, how could this be? You just feel like you're dragging yourself along. One, at one point though, you were bounding in energy like a grasshopper, just able to, to leap far and wide and you had all kinds of energy to do what you wanted to do your legs were strong and your will was determined but now oh man there are days when you just drag yourself along there's a phrase in here after this talks about at the middle of verse five it says desire fails this is kind of a provocative reference to what's called a caper berry so that in that time it was used as a stimulant so this is talking about the physical desire between a husband and a wife and a wife for her husband. But at some point before a person goes to their eternal home and before the mourners go about the streets, even that kind of physical desire for a spouse wears down. Remember your creator while you have the opportunity. Remember him before you die. Verses 6 and 7 talk about images that refer to drawing water. Okay, so look at that with me. It talks about the cord 
the silver aspect of it, the gold aspect of the bowl. These things are, are again, illustrative imagery, metaphors. The cord that pulls the water, the bowl that holds the water, water for washing, the pitcher or jar that holds it for drinking, and the wheel for the pulley system of how you get water from a well. In all of Scripture, and in really even all of just human history, what is water a picture of? Life. Without water, there is no life. Things, as it says, the dust returned to the earth as it was. Things returned to dust without water. So all the things that allow a person to get water now in this image, in what Solomon is saying, they lie broken at the bottom of the well. Life has gone out. The Spirit returns to God who gave it. Solomon uses these things as this like silent testimony to the frailty of our lives. The most basic things that we can do, sleep, eat, see, hear, walk, if we're around long enough, they all have an ending point for us. So it's no surprise that verse 8 at the end here, of our text today echoes the preacher's refrain from the very beginning chapter vanity vanity everything is vanity or meaningless meaningless everything is meaningless sin entered the world in genesis 2 and god says that on account of that sin we're going to return to the dust from which we came god made things perfect god made things upright But mankind has spoiled it. We have made a mess of it. We've already seen that from Ecclesiastes. He said this very thing. When we view life from the viewpoint, from the standpoint of that this is all there is, we would come to the same conclusion of this statement right here. If this is all there is, if this life is all we're living for, what is the point? But this is precisely... I think what makes these verses so wonderful, death has not come for you yet. You're here, you're alive, you may be dealing with ailments, you may be dealing with difficulties, but death has not come yet. Praise God. As another pastor I heard say, let death rattle its chains and let it stir us into action. Today is a day of opportunity to recognize And remember your creator, regardless of how many birthdays you've marked off the calendar. We put a lot of effort and we put a lot of time into calculating things. Um, The interest on your house, the amortization schedule. I remember looking at that in in high school and thinking, what on earth is this? There's numbers I understood, but how they got there, it was just craziness. We, We spent a lot of time calculating things. Financially, we scientifically come up with a lot of different ways to calculate how far we are from the sun, how far planets are from one another, all of those things. We certainly, uh, in a more real and literal sense, we spend a lot of time calculating when our next family vacation is. That's a good thing. That makes us excited. But you know what? How many of us have really calculated the days that God has given us? Like Psalm 90 verse 12 said, God, help us to number, teach us to number our days. Help us to calculate our time that we may get a heart of wisdom. 
But instead, we would rather spend our time calculating just about anything else. If it gets us thinking about our own fragility, our own ending, we want to avoid it. We want to avoid thinking about how one day we will stand before God. And it's generally not a day that we choose. Without God's grace, we would never, ever consider anything beyond the here and now. This morning, though, God isn't asking you to do something that you're incapable of doing. He's not asking you to go hike Kilimanjaro. He's not asking you to start a nonprofit organization. He's not asking you to go live in solitude for 30 years. He's not asking you to do something that you can't do. He's just asking you to remember. Remember. But not like remembering your multiplication tables or the Pledge of Allegiance. Not like that. Remember by setting aside yourself and giving all of your life and all of your future and all of your opportunities to God to use you how he would. Is that something that you've ever done? Would you do it today? Now, if I had a bouquet of flowers up here, every one of us would want those in our house. We would look at them. They would fill the house with with joy, with the aroma of summer or spring or whatever the the flower would be. But if we had a, a vase full of crumpled up, dried out, barely hanging on flowers, what would you do with those flowers? You'd throw them out. Is that how we offer our lives to God? Shriveled up, used out, worn out. At the very end, we say, okay, I guess I'm ready now to give myself to you. Like a bouquet of dead, dangly flowers. Or are we giving him our best? Are we saying, God, where I am now, I may not consider myself a youth, but where I am now, I want to give myself to you. I want to remember you when I can. God, who loved you so much, sent what was most precious to him, his only son, to die in your place, to take your sin upon him so that he could then give you his perfect righteousness. Is a dying flower what you feel good about offering to him, knowing that? Regardless of your age, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation for all those who believe. I want to encourage you to cry out in faith and repentance to Jesus today. Remember your creator by offering him everything that you are and he will not turn you away. Let's pray. Lord, we're reminded from the text this morning that our lives have a definite end. And even before the end, they often wind down and cause us to live differently just out of physical need sometimes. And we may not all feel like we're youthful in the room, Lord, but I know that you look at us through a different lens. You see potential, you know the future. And Lord, I pray that not one of us would be content or okay with handing you a bouquet of dying flowers as a gift. But instead, Lord, that we would give you ourselves in the season of life that we're in and say, God, I want to remember you to give up my self-dependence, to to let go of self-reliance and instead give you 
everything, all of my life, all of my future, all of my opportunities, Lord, I give it to you to do something that I could never do on my own. Lord, I pray that we're not content to stay where we're at, but that you, by your goodness here, as we've heard this morning, would motivate us to change, and not just this arbitrary change, Lord, but to become more like Christ, and that happens through the working of your spirit and sanctification. So I pray, Lord, that if there's those without Christ here, that they would recognize what needs to be done, and that they would repent and give themselves over to you completely today. For those of us who have had our trajectory maybe set wrongly, Lord, I pray that you would realign it under the authority of Scripture, under the authority of the Spirit that lives within us, God, so that disastrous results don't occur. We thank you for your grace and your love in reminding us of this this morning. Help us to remember you while we've got the opportunity. You've given us the opportunity today. Help us to use it well. In Christ's name I pray, amen.